Welcome to season two of the Connect FCS Ed podcast. Each episode is geared towards recruiting, supporting, and retaining past, current, and future professional family and consumer sciences educators. I am your host, Barbara Scully, and I want to boldly celebrate families and careers with you. Hi, and welcome back to the Connect FCS Ed podcast. I am so glad that you are here. Well, we are diving a little bit deeper into our FCCLA series. Today with me, my amazing co-host is Abigail Lee, who is the FCCLA Nationals Partnership Manager. Abby, I'm so grateful to have you with us. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing great. So glad to be here. So excited. And thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm curious. So we, before the show started, we we're just doing a little, little chit chat. And so you mentioned that you were going to be a, a family and consumer sciences teacher, but then you got lucky maybe, or maybe you didn't, I don't know, but you yes. got, you, you got uh, scooped up. Yes. Did, yeah. I I'd say that uh, lucky is an, an accurate description of it because it's, I found what my passion was and I, I hope that for everyone, but I think it's a perfect example that we, we tell our student members that you, you don't always know your career path. You might be going one direction and you just have to be willing to walk through an open door when it when an opportunity uh, finds itself on you. So I was actually going through college and I was going to do the alternate certification program. So I'm from Louisiana. And so that was my option to become a family and consumer sciences teacher. So I was going through that program and my plan was to go into directly into high school, into a high school. So I interviewed for high schools and a chance opportunity a couple of months before graduation was uh, an open at national headquarters and I took a chance on it and I'm so glad I did. I moved from Louisiana to Virginia uh, in just a couple of short months, but so blessed with that opportunity. Uh, as a past member, it's really exciting to, to be able to give back. I always had a huge heart for FCCLA and I was a member from 6th through 12th grade. I was involved in competitive events. Uh, I served in numerous leadership positions. So I'm really excited to to be on the other side of things. I used to to love, you know, as a student member, you love like being in the front and you know the the stage time and things like that. But I really really enjoy being behind the scenes and being part of some of the things that I received through college because of my membership in FCCL. I was pretty much able to graduate from college practically debt free because of some of the awards and scholarships that that I received. And so to be able to be the person that now works on on those and to provide those to more student members. It's really exciting. I'm really happy to do that. Oh, I love hearing that. It's it's the opportunity to give back to a organization that has supported and encouraged you from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting to be able to give that same opportunity to the next generation. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I pretty much owe everything to my family and consumer sciences teacher. She she was the one that threw high school. So I was this loud, uh, d- didn't know what I wanted to do in life, high school kid. And uh, she started as my teacher my freshman year. And so she really took that um, and really helped me to grow in anything that I said, even if it was a big idea completely backed me on it. And so I think if I, if I wouldn't have had that support, I feel like I wouldn't have 
felt confident in myself to take on an opportunity like that. So I really thank her for her support in that. Well, in today's conversation, we're going to be talking about fundraising. And as the partnership manager for FCCLA, what are the details when it comes to fundraising? Yeah. So I think that that, that you have to look at what are you fundraising for? And so, because that can, that can be the different avenues that you take. So if you're, some of our students might be fundraising to attend a conference, some of them might be fundraising for they're doing a local service project, or it might be down to they're fundraising to to be a member of the organization. And so with that, there there is a cost involved with with being a student member, um, but we have seen some of our chapters do fundraise with that. And there's numerous opportunities available for students and for chapters to get involved with that. Oh, that's great. Well, I guess as, as we're talking about getting students and chapters involved, what are the costs involved in establishing a new chapter? Yeah, great question. So on the national level, the dues for each student member uh, is $9. And so there is a minimum of 12 members per chapter or $108 per chapter, plus an advisor fee of $9 per advisor. Now, some of our state associations might have a state membership fee on top of that. And some chapters do choose to charge a chapter fee. Um, I know that when I was a student member with uh, in Louisiana, and this is only particular to my school, um, our our full membership price that we charged was $20. And so that was the $9 national fee. And then there was a state fee and our chapter chose to, to put in a fee. And we see some of our chapters do that and that pays for a shirt or it might help support their chapter. Um, but that's up to, that's different per per state and per chapter, uh, what that, what those extra fees are that they might have. Um, but that national fee is $9. Now, what we have done because of COVID this last year, we did see some of our chapters. We wanted to support them in their affiliation and, and how we could do that. So we did provide a affiliation support relief packages. And so those are different packages. Some states have opted into those, some have not. So I'd recommend um, if you are uh, interested in those to, to look at our national website, because those really do help. There's an unlimited membership package. There's a package for up to 12 members uh, that really helps to offset that cost for those uh, chapters that are in need of it. And then we also have piloted a middle level 100% affiliation program. And so we have the details for that on our website if you are strictly a middle school level program. Okay. So in in order to get a hold of these packages, as I have learned through going throughout this FCCLA series with Ashley, Sherry, and Elena, and now you, is that something that you would have to, uh, advisors would have to go through the portal to obtain? Yes. So if you are starting out brand new, you don't have a chapter and you're interested um, in starting a chapter, I'd recommend first starting on our website. Um, we have our join page that that lists out what it looks like. Um, and then I also encourage our, uh, we have an FCCLA advisors page, Facebook group, that that's a great support group for those that we know. I know myself sometimes I'm like, I see it. I understand what it says, but I need someone to walk me through it. And so we have a lot of advisors that are on standby um, and a lot of our staff members to help through that process. 
Um, but that would be the first start. And then you do, you'll affiliate through the portal. And so things get a little bit different if your school has had a chapter before and you're a new advisor. So there's some of those different processes. So um, all of that's explained on our website, but then our staff members are happy to, to walk you through it um, if you do need further assistance with that. Yes. And oh my gosh, take advantage of all of the resources that you have available to you. I can't, I cannot recommend a enough how much I love all of the the various Facebook uh, pages and groups that I'm a part of and that I know that are out there. So for you listening, you're dipping your toes in, go to those Facebook groups. Even if you don't want to open up a Facebook account or anything like that, just having those resources available, it's you hit the jackpot. So when it comes to fundraising, what would be, what is a good fundraising goal for a chapter? And I know that can be so skewed depending on the state and even probably even the school district, but is there a kind of a good baseline to always have as your yeah, the baseline for a goal for starting a chapter? Yeah, so I I would look at that, uh, like you mentioned, the, the resources that are available. I would rely on your surrounding chapters for that to get an approximate number for, for fundraising totals, uh, because that can be different um, if you're looking at fundraising for membership or if you're fundraising for a conference or community service. Those numbers can look different, but if you're looking strictly for um, for chapter affiliation to help just get started with that, so we have we have our set numbers for what our affiliation costs are, and our um, and then you can find out what your state dues are, and then it'll be up to the advisor to determine if they want to do a chapter due. Um, but we do have some of our ones that they might have a goal of fundraising or to offset the cost 50% for chapter members. Or um, like we've done on the national level, we started this year was um, uh, through our ultimate leadership fund, we provide an affiliation support grant opportunity that chapter advisors can apply for. So we have some chapters that maybe fundraise an amount to help those student members that um, can't pay for affiliation themselves. Uh, so that can be determined on that a lot. Your advisors or your educators will know, you know, maybe how many of your students are low income students, what percentage of that. That's where your numbers and your data for your school that are specific to your school, what you're demographics look like will really help you determine that number when fundraising. So maybe it's in your FCS classes, if you're wanting to do full affiliation for all of your um, FCS uh, student members or for students to affiliate, uh, if it's maybe 40% or low income, maybe that's your goal that you start with, that you want to be able to provide 40% of your student members. And that's where we've seen some chapters um, and the like the resources you've mentioned, we have letters that you can go out to your local businesses. I think that's one area that, that when I'm talking to chapters and talking to chapter advisors that I feel like is it utilized enough that they really, there is that community support. And we've see, we see it on both sides. We see our small schools say that, oh, we just don't have enough businesses around us, or our big schools say the small schools have all the community support that rallies around them. So you, you see it on both sides, but there are those opportunities for that funding, um, especially once they, they know what your program is 
to help fundraise for that. Um, but setting that goal be dependent upon what, what your unique school looks like. Okay. So then how about being that I want to be able to estimate my costs? What are some good fundraising ideas to help pay for those state conferences? Yeah, so we have a lot of our, we have a ton of resources in our portal and our advisor page that there's lists upon lists of fundraising options and fundraising ideas. We have a lot of times our chapter advisors will do a post in the group that says, I'm fundraising for state conference. What have been your most successful ones? Uh, We have the holidays coming up and we see a lot of our FCS classrooms. They have, if you have a, a culinary component in your classes, one that we've seen that's really successful around the holidays is the pre-made cookie boxes. So they'll they'll do the uh, sugar cookies and bags of icing that families can, and the kids, they can decorate cookies themselves. So things like that. We've seen our, uh, our fashion classes do certain fundraisers. Maybe they do, maybe they're running, if they have, if their program has a monogram machine, they're doing monogram fundraising out of their classroom. Things that, ideas that maybe you can integrate within your classroom room time that it's not adding on to you, but it's a fundraising opportunity for that. And then we have the ones that you see outside of school all the time, you know, your bake sales, your food fundraisers. For me as a student, that's what that's what I did a lot of. We'd had a lot of food fundraisers being in Louisiana. That's the the favorite thing. And so that's what worked really well for us. We also had a lot of boutiques in my community. And so we would do a raffle. So that was nothing that cost us anything. And so we'd go around to local businesses. So that also gave us the opportunity uh, for them to hear about us without asking them for to write a check. They were donating an item, getting that exposure. Um, But then they did hear about us when we go to nationals and they supported us in those ways. But then we, you know, selling those raffle tickets, getting out into the community, uh, any of those opportunities that that helps you expand your reach are really great ideas for fundraising. I I love all of those ideas. And just something that in my school that our FCCLA advisor has done, she sells or she doesn't, but the chapter, they, uh, they fundraise using butter braids. And Mm -hmm. that's just, that is a really big ticket item for our FCCLA advisor group or chapter group. So that's been very successful. So, and when it comes to like, for what I just said, we have our FCCLA advisor group or chapter group has done or sold butter braids for quite a few years. How can we go about mixing it up so we don't have the same people helping fundraise the same thing? Yeah. So with that, I would say looking at what their, what those students' passions are. Um, so for some of them, for, for some, you might have one that's very successful in your town. So um, I know in college we had, we did Vera Bradley being with with uh, the college organization I was in. And that was extremely successful. Every year you could count on those funds. So for that, in that way, I would say keep keep going with that. So a lot of times we see it takes like three years. If you're wanting to do a big community event as your fundraiser, it's going to take three to four years for it to catch on with the community and start raising those funds. So I'd recommend um, if you're thinking we, we do the same fundraiser every year, 
sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes if your community comes to expect it. Now, if you've seen you're in your three and you're not seeing a progressive increase in your fundraising funds or the amount of individuals participating, that's when you should, you know, kind of rethink, maybe let's have a new idea come in. But if if you're seeing a, a progression in that, that's, that's a good thing because then you want your community to come to know. Um, I know one year we weren't able to host our bingo and we had commute, some of the ladies in the community said, where's, where's my bingo tickets? And so they, they come to expect it. Um, same way with, uh, with any of your other local fundraisers that we do, we did a holiday market, uh, for my FCCLA chapter. And so they knew when people would talk about it in the community, local news station, to talk about it. They were always mentioning FCCLA and people know that that knew that that was us um, and successful, but we did have some other ones that we mixed around. We did try some of like the book fundraising um, that didn't necessarily, some worked, some didn't, you know, like the candles or the, the candy fundraiser, some worked, some didn't. Um, and that's just based on your demographic of school and what they're interested in. But I think if you're, if you're wanting to, to mix it up, it's safe to, to do that, not to overwhelm your students, but you're, you are going to have in your chapter, some of those student members that are rock star fundraisers. That's what their passion is. I know that that's what I love to do in high school and my advisor um, encouraged that. And now my job is partnerships and fundraising. So if you do have those student members, you know, that really want to do it, I'd say not to discourage it, but to encourage it. Um, But then also to look at what what their interests are. So you might have the one student that's really interested in visual arts and design, um, graphic design. Maybe they're not comfortable talking in front of people and you're still working with them on that. They could design the flyers for the, the fundraiser, you know, using their passions um, towards it and to help it out. That's how you can mix it up with those student members. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I know with, we just finished up uh, and we've been pushing out all of the butter braids because we we just get brought them in. One of my our students yeah, who is a member, she sold like over 250 butter braids. It was it was amazing, but also at the same time so overwhelming for for my my uh, FCCLA advisor, where she's just like is she bringing in all of these boxes and then we're having to figure out where are these butter braids going to go because they have to be frozen. They have Mm -hmm. to stay frozen. So we're pretty fortunate that in our back prep area of our culinary rooms, we have some freezers, but man, trying to, trying to figure all of that out and then organize trying to get it out of our freezers was, was something else. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We did the, uh, the cookie dough fundraisers in high school and we had one similar where there was a girl, she was a pro at it. Her mom and dad worked in businesses that they brought the sign up sheet and she had, I think it was like a little over 200, cookie dough containers that she had sold and it's great. It sounds great on paper. And of course it's great. It's to sell, you know, celebrating that, that hard work that they did, but it's when the boxes come in and you have to, to ship that out. So that, that's a good thing for advisors to also think about just being prepared. Um, that's where that advisor group comes in handy. Cause some of them have shared, I'm thinking about this fundraiser. What are your pros, cons about it? What are things I should know about before we get started? Um, and there's been some really great tips that they've shared in there as well. Yes. Go after those resources. Well, let's, what, uh, the last question that I, that I have and that I can think of right now is after we've sold and we've picked up all this money, 
how do we divvy up the money to those that have done all of the work versus none at all? Because yeah, we do have, we do have that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that I know I've, I've said it before. It depends on what you're fundraising for. So, um, when I was a student member, uh, my advisor had a, like a great process in place that, uh, we'd have, uh, we'd have a meeting before uh, a conference. So if we were fundraising for a national conference, for this example, she said, we're going to do fundraisers A, B, C, D, and you could sign up. So we usually brought about uh, between 10 to at the very most 15 students to nationals. So you could sign up to fundraise at these events. And so she would keep track of it. So some of them might be a bake sale. Some of those might be those brochure sales or some of our other larger events. And so she would say in order for if it was a um, a full event, so like a holiday market where there's it's we're promoting it. There's not really the students are selling tickets. It's just working it. She would say you'd have to work this many hours for you know you to get a percentage, and it would be split amongst the students who met those qualifications and volunteered for it. Now, if it was a bake sale, she kept track of what uh, items you brought and what you fundraised. And so that went directly to you. And the same with uh, the raffles that we did. So we kept track of that. Uh, Now we did have some of our rock star students. Um, Some of them, uh, I know myself, I had when I was serving as a state officer, I had a lot of community support and family members that donated and contributed. Um, So she also let us know that, you know, if you hit your goal, if you want to choose to have the rest that you earn be split amongst the chapter, you could do that. And so we did. So I did do that. I had a lot of family members that wanted to donate because sometimes your family members feel good if they say this is going to Barbara. I know like I'm writing this check to support Barbara. Um, but they, but then the, our chapter was able to, our student members that were going to nationals were able to use it. Um, but then I think when you're looking at other events, like I'd said before, sometimes it's, you're going to have your students that are at the front that are selling the tickets and you can, you can make that determination if you want that to be what is divided amongst them, what determines, um, how much money is going to be divided, or you might have those students that are, high level, really type A personalities, great at planning. And so maybe if you did a holiday market, they are the ones who planned it, organized everything that maybe you say, okay, you don't have to work the event the day of, but that still counts for you. Or maybe you have your student that's into visual arts that does all of the graphics that reaches out to all of the news channels. So that can be decided um, per fundraiser based on w- what you want to do. But the, the easy ones are your straight like ticket sales where, you know, you can, you can track what your students do. Um, but I think being creative with those other event fundraisers and what the students can, um, count towards will really help. Um, and then just dividing it amongst those who meet those qualifications that'll work for your chapter. All right. Well, you brought up something that just kind of made me think, how many fundraisers is kind of on average a chapter promotes throughout the school year? Is there, uh, is there an average, like maybe one and done, or is this something that you're continuously doing? So that, I guess that again, depends on the chapter. So I went to a a 400 K-12 school. And so I'd say we probably had about six to seven fundraisers in the full year. So that's like counting. We did around the holidays, we did candy grams, we did fundraisers with 
uh, the FBLA or FFA chapters at our school that we that we coordinated together on. Um, and then, but that those weren't all fundraisers that every single student member was expected to participate in. I traveled a lot uh, with FCCLA, so I went to our state and national conferences. So some of those fundraisers were specific for students going to state conference and nationals. But I think that that, that depends on the, the manpower that you have. Um, we know uh, advisor, our advisors are have a lot that they that they do, um, and so I think that the more that you rely on your students, the more that you put the planning and really implement what we say about it being a student led organization and put the responsibilities on them. That's the more that you're going to be able to do. Um, and sometimes you have, we'll have schools that have one large event that that's in their community. That's what they do. Um, when people are going to donate large checks, they, they know to wait until that event. So it just, it just depends on what your community is. Uh, it's really the advisor knows their community, you know, your community, you know, your school, if you're a first year teacher, not just a first year advisor, if you're a first year teacher and you're coming into this full force, really rely on the other educators at your school. They know they know what it looks like, especially if you have other career and technical organizations, looking at them, um, you know, trying to either mirror what they do or starting on the path to doing that. That'll be where you can get some of those good numbers for, you know, when to fundraise. Because um, a lot of times with the other career and technical organizations, we have similar conferences. We all have state conferences. We all have nationals. So if they're doing five fundraisers a year, four, maybe three, uh, then that might be something that you can mirror with that. Oh, this is such great advice. Well, as we're wrapping up this episode, can you give me and our advisors and future teachers, can you come up with five easy takeaway tips when it comes to fundraising? Yeah. So I'd say the first is probably um, set goals, but set realistic goals. Uh, and what if you if this is your first year do, doing a fundraiser to to look at what you can do, um, and that really helps in the end setting those realistic goals, especially when you exceed those um, that that those do really well. Um, and then I would say deciding exactly what what you're looking to fundraise for. So if you're fundraising for general membership, great, use that and promote that. If you're fundraising for a conference, promoting that, um, having that that clear and concise um, idea or voice for what you're fundraising for really helps your community. Um, and then with that also, knowing what FCCLA is. A lot of times we see some of our new student members, you'll have, uh, when you're fundraising for FCCLA, your community members will say, what is FCCLA? Um, and you might have a student member that's new and might not know that, uh, might not know, you know, that elevator pitch that we, that we uh, educate our student members on. So really uh, practicing that beforehand, what those possible questions are, because uh, that makes it an event run even more smoothly. Uh, and it makes uh, your community members really see the impact of FCCLA when your student members are able to explain it. Um, 
And then I'd say making sure all of your student members are on the same page with it and also support the fundraiser. So if it's a if it's a booklet fundraiser or if it's an event fundraiser, um, if your student members aren't passionate about it, it should it should all be led by the students like they, you know, putting the responsibilities on them. This should not a fundraiser, all of the responsibilities on it other than working with the administrators, you know, what, um, where the advisor comes in, really encouraging your student members to take that responsibility um, and promoting it, but that comes down to if they support it. So having those conversations with them, letting them brainstorm, letting them come up with the ideas, that's where you're going to see the ones that your student members really start to, they're passionate about it, they start to promote it more, uh, and they really get into it if they back it. Um, and then I'd say, you know, recruiting help. So that's where you can you can even using it outside of your FCCLA members. So if you're hosting an event, opening it up to other members at the school, that might also be your recruiting event for FCCLA because they can see what you're doing. Um, and then I'd say uh, the final one is not being afraid to ask for advice. So we said it a couple of times that there's tons of resources out there. Um, you can pretty much type into to Google at this point, like FCCLA, successful FCCLA fundraisers. And there's documents on, you know, on documents that you can see there's resources. Um, and then even in our advisor Facebook page that you'll, you'll see an advisor that says, what's a good fundraiser. And then another advisor will say, here is the full event plan with all of the details uh, and sample language to use when promoting it. And so if you have an idea for, for something for a fundraiser, a lot of times it's, it's been done before, or it's a, something similar has been done before. And so there's resources that are available. So don't, don't feel like you have to go into it blind or go into it alone. You know, reaching out for support um, is probably one of the, the best things to do. Well, I love that. So as a recap, because that was a lot of great, <laughs> five, five great tips. One, set realistic goals. Two, decide what you want to fundraise for. Is that a conference or membership? Three, practice your pitch. And that is something I think we all are constantly doing when it comes to defending FCCLA, as well as being a family and consumer sciences educator. Four, student members on the same page. This is a student-led organization, so if they don't back it up, then we need to recalculate. And then finally, promotion and recruitment. Open it up and don't be afraid to ask for questions. These are all amazing tips, and I'm so thankful that you've been able to set the time aside to be able to share these tips with us, as well as your own journey. How can people get in touch with you if they have any further questions? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I can uh, be reached via my email. It's partnerships at fcclainc.org, um, or you can find my direct email on our national website. Uh, and so those are the best ways to get in 
contact me with me, but I am always really excited when advisors reach out uh, needing help or support or resources, because if we don't have it, we can find it for you. So yes, if you need anything at all, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I love having the opportunity to do this uh, and supporting advisors in the same way that my advisor supported me. So yes, excited. And I can't wait to, to hear all of the success stories for fundraising over this next year with our chapter members. Uh, great stuff. Well, thank you, Abby. As always, we're better together as well as let's continue leading our student success with FCS. Barbara Scully from the Connect FCS Ed podcast presents a fresh take on recruitment and support for today's modern home economics educators in the family and consumer sciences, FCS Classroom, sharing insightful stories, strategies, and resources in a fun and sustainable and practical way. Each episode focuses on a different aspect of modern home economics. From community engagement, leadership, classroom management, to lessons and more, each episode brings a different perspective, offering expert professional development, interviews from a collaborative worldwide FCS community, with the hope that it will inspire and empower you to make informed decisions. Together, we are better at leading the way to student success with FCS.